You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Megan Farleman grew up in the hockey hotbed of Lansing. Oh, not the one in Michigan, the one in Kansas. With no girls hockey league, she played boys hockey growing up. She went to high school in Indiana where hockey is a little more popular and she was good enough to play for Boston College. She had a tryout for the USA hockey team for the 2010 Winter Olympics in Vancouver and went on to play professionally in Austria for two years. She decided to get a real job, but kept her interest in hockey. And she played in the first season of the National Women's Hockey League in 2015-16. She still plays recreationally in the Kansas City area, or as she calls it, on vacation trips. So Megan, welcome to Sports Connections. Thank you, David. Welcome for, thanks for having me. All righty. Well, um, when and why did you start playing hockey? In Kansas City, no less. Uh, well, I started playing when I was a kid. I was four years old. I was a rink rat. Um, my dad played. He was a West Point guy, so that's what brought us, brought our family out into, uh, you know, the Kansas area. So um, he played at West Point. He uh, initially started playing football there and uh, ended up as the JV hockey captain after dropping a few pounds um, with all the physical <laughs> training, but um, my brother played, so it's a family sport. And uh, I was a rink rat, so I hung around the, the corner of the ice out in St. Joseph, Missouri. And, uh, you know, the ice kind of jutted out into the stands and all the little kids that were family members uh, yeah. grew up playing on the, the corner pieces of ice sticking out and uh, then just started skating, asked, asked for hockey equipment and, uh, my parents told me I couldn't play hockey unless I took piano lessons. So uh, <laughs> that was, that was the challenge at the time. Okay. Uh, did you take the piano lessons and how good did you be? I don't, I don't play piano? anymore, but I, I played for a few years just to, okay. just until I got all the equipment, you know, until you got everything you needed and then you gave it up. Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I um, now have, did you live in, in the West Point area at all? No, no, that was my dad retired out here in uh, Fort Leavenworth after 20 years in. So, okay. Cause I, I went to junior high, uh, in a, a small town called Washingtonville, which is about 10 miles from West Point. So, uh, wow. I, the beautiful, beautiful part of the, uh, part of the country. So talk about your style of play and how that developed. So my style of play, um, very fast, gritty. I was a power forward. I would go into the corner and get pucks and, uh, my hands weren't very good. Um, but my feet were, so I tried okay. to go in and get the puck out before anybody could, you know, question my stick handling ability. So um, I think that's kind of where my ability came from was that was what I had to work with. So um, I would just try to beat anybody I could. Okay. And, and did you play real physical style or were you more finesse player? Uh, I had both physical and finesse. It was kind of, kind of nice. Um, when I was growing up playing, I was one of the, the smaller girls playing with uh, bigger boys. So um, had a few broken bones growing up. And then finally, I went, to, I went to Clover Academies out in Indiana for high school. After breaking my arm in seventh grade and eighth grade playing boys checking, I yeah. <laughs> switched over and went to a boarding school to play with girls. And uh, my style ended up developing a little differently. But so I, I was good with both physical and skating. I'm guessing that playing against the boys and, and no disrespect intended whatsoever, but playing against the boys helped you as you then 
moved into playing against girls because you could probably be more aggressive and more physical than girls who had just grown up playing against girls. Is that, is that correct? I think that's very, very accurate. Um, at the time when I had tried out for the Olympic team, um, I was kind of looking at the background of all the other girls that were at the higher level of competition and all pretty much had a similar story of growing up with boys, at least at the beginning um, yeah. and getting to be more physical of a player and having more puck aggression and going after the puck and also not being afraid. So, yeah, I imagine that's a big part of it. Uh, I tried to play hockey. I, I lived on Long Island for a while and tried to play hockey and realized you have to be able to skate fairly well to play hockey. Cause every time I'd take the stick back, I'd fall down and that's yeah. not a really a good, a good way to, uh, to operate. Um, I want to, before we talk about the Olympic thing, you helped Boston college reach its first NCAA women's hockey tournament. And you guys reached the frozen four. Just talk about that run. So going down memory lane, um, <laughs> it was, a, it was a while ago. Um, when I was recruited at Boston college, uh, they hadn't really had a history of uh, winning. They had a fairly new coach for the last couple of years before I had gone there, who was the assistant Olympic coach. And uh, so I think it was either the year before I went or my freshman year was the first year they had had a 500, 500 record or above. And um, so the NCAA uh, drive, um, that was a pretty big deal because that was only my sophomore year, like a year or two later. So um, my freshman year, we won the bean pot tournament, which is, it's a big deal in Boston. It's yeah, Harvard, yeah. Harvard Northeastern BUBC. Um, so we won it my freshman year and that was the first time BC had ever won. So we were, we were a budding program. Um, so the first time we had ever gone to the NCAA was my sophomore year. And it, I remember we put ourselves in the power rankings to, get, get the NCAA, um, bid into the tournament. And we were all on the phone listening to make sure we would, we yeah. were in the tournament. And that's always an exciting phone call. And that was the first time in program history that it happened. Um, and then we got selected to play Dartmouth and Dartmouth had a few Olympians on their team at the time. Um, and I remember going into the first game, we were in the locker room and they read that one of their power players, um, had a concussion and was out for the game. And we're like, all right, we were, we were the underdogs. We were the underdogs going into the game. Sure. And, uh, we, uh, we won that game. Um, I, that was a big part of that one. Cause I scored two goals in a, I think it was a two, one game or three, two, three, one, three, two. We won the game in overtime. It was yeah. um, not as much a uh, goal scoring game as a shot blocking game. We, we laid our body down and we just kept getting, hit with the puck. I mean, it was a, a full team, um, bruising sacrifice of a game. Yeah. So, and then, uh, we played Minnesota Duluth. So that took us to the frozen four. And again, we went into double overtime, I think. Um, and I remember uh, one of our defensemen backed right over our goalie going in backwards and they were able to shoot the puck right into an open net. And that, that was how we lost that season. So it was, it was heartbreaking, but it was exciting at the same time. We'd never done that before. Talk about the Beanpot Tournament for people, especially around here. I, I, as I mentioned, I went to high school in, on Long Island, uh, junior high up near West Point. So I'm familiar a little bit with the avid nature, of, at least on the men's side. But has the women's side gained popularity? Uh, it's probably not quite to the level of the men, but is it gaining popularity there? 
the Beanpot tournament is one of the more exciting tournaments out there for women's hockey. Um, the men play, I think, on, on Monday night and the women play on Tuesday night. And it's, it's broadcast on the New England Sports Network, which, which is, right. you know, they tend to play a lot of the, the Bruins games. Um, but it, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's, it's the pride of Boston and Boston's a big hockey town. So that was, sure. that was fun. But yeah, I grew up here. So I, quite frankly, I didn't even know Boston College existed until I was going <laughs> through the recruiting process. And then I was like, okay, this is a good school. So yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, um, I want you to take your um, take the hat off that where you're media trained, where you give credit to all your teammates and all that stuff. So, were you the best player on your BC team? No, I had a couple Olympians on my team, so I, I was the one that got cut. So, I, I would say I was top top caliber, but um, I mean, in a one on one battle, I, I could probably have beat them half the time. But yeah, now when your college career was over, and that was. 2009, if I'm not mistaken, did you have any idea what the future would hold for you? I drove around aimless in my car after I got, <laughs> um, but after college, um, I, I didn't know that I'd be invited to the tryout. There was, it was kind of up in the air whether or not I, I would make the invitation or not. There were only about 50 people that were invited. Um, but from the time I was 14, um, I was in the U.S. national program growing okay. up um, every summer they'd have uh, camps up in Lake Placid or Minnesota um, kind of similar to the men's side which is up in Ann Arbor um, I, I was involved in that program growing up year after year and uh, the summer before graduation so um, right before my senior year I remember saying that uh, somebody said if you don't get invited to the world's team that you wouldn't get invited to the Olympic tryout and that was kind of the first time that I hadn't really been invited um it was during the senior year so I thought I was all done and then I got a surprise invitation in June <laughs> for the August tryout which was for the Winter Olympics that summer or that winter okay so you you didn't get pardon me you didn't get the didn't make the final cut and you said you drove around in your car aimlessly for a, for a couple of weeks um uh, just talk about your emotions i mean to get that close to playing in the Olympics, representing your country, and then to have it taken away. It had to be rewarding to be invited and then disappointing not to make it. I mean, it was something I had worked for uh, all growing up. So I remember when I was a kid, the uh, women's team won gold, 98 in Nagano. And I remember doing push-ups on the floor while I was watching the gold medal game. <laughs> I'm going to play in that. And, uh, that was one of the big factors why I went to boarding school so I could get two hours of ice time every day. I mean, I, I worked for it for years and years and uh, it's disappointing, but I, one of the highlights of my career is I did get to wear a USA Jersey and a four nations tournament. So uh, I at least got to do that. So how did you, I'm digging a little bit here into you personality, you personally, how did you get past that? You, you, you're not still driving around aimlessly. You moved on from that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not driving around in my car aimlessly, but <laughs> how, how did you get, how did you get past that disappointment? Um, I kept playing. I went to Europe for two years. So um, I drove around aimless for about two weeks until I found another team to play on. And then I, and then I flew to a country that I didn't know what language they spoke and um, learned a little bit of German and uh, I had fun. I had fun. Learn to enjoy the game from a different aspect. So, In what way? 
I think I had treated it throughout college um, like it was my job. And I think playing in Austria helped me get in touch with a little more of the fun side again, which is what the game's really about. I mean. That's, that's interesting because um, most people play for the enjoyment when they're younger. And then when they become a professional, then they play as a, if it's a job. You reversed those, didn't you? I think I did a little bit. Had a little different perspective. Um, when you're playing in college, um, I think it might have been my high school coach who told me, you know, when you're playing D1 and you're playing for a scholarship, it's almost like you're getting paid 40 bucks an hour to play hockey. So, you know, your coaches are going to take it seriously. And right. I, I took that to heart and tried to do the same. So talk a little bit about playing in Austria, the level of competition, how your game changed, just, you know, just trying to find a little bit about what it was like for a girl from Kansas to play in Austria. Mountains are a lot higher there than they are here. Uh, What was it like playing in Europe for a couple of years? It was fun. It was fun. Um, So I ended up coaching just a little bit because our initial coach when we showed up was a, uh, Czechoslovakian, um, very old school hockey mentality guy, but his German was a little broken. So the Austrians on our team that were translating in English for us were having a hard time understanding him. So <laughs> our warm up, um, our warm up for the first few weeks ended up just being skate around, follow the leader on the ice, and uh, we didn't think it was that good of a caliber practice. So um, a couple of the Canadian players and myself. Um, we were the, the foreigners over in Austria. Um, we ended up taking over the practices and um, taking over the team, essentially. And I saw on, on the bio that you sent me that you did, you did do some coaching as well. Were you kind of, you know, I don't want to coin an expression, but a coach on the ice uh, when you were playing professionally and maybe even in college? A little bit. I mean, we would, we would coach – coach the other players on the bench with us. Um, I wasn't the one putting the roster together, but we were were helping to run the practices. We were coming up with the drills and systems and um, pointing things out to our developing players. And that's kind of what a lot of the European hockey is like. It's, it's professionals, which are college players from North America going to help develop a lot of the younger, younger players um, in those, those home countries. And then, there's two different leagues that you play in. You play in the government league, which is the Austrian league. You play all the small, small town teams in Austria. Okay. And then there's the elite women's hockey league, the EWHL. And those are the better teams in Austria, more foreign players on them. Um, they try to develop their, their national team players on those teams. And they, you compete city to city throughout Europe. Okay. Now um, you you stepped away from the game because you were you were there from I'm get if I can do my math 2010 through 2012 is that correct? Um, it was 10, 11, and 11, 12. Okay, and so you were away from competitive hockey for three years when you joined the the women's professional league here. Uh, talk about that adjustment being away from the you know obviously you still played but being away from competitive hockey for that long and then getting back into it? Um, well, actually, I, I did get the math wrong. It was 9, 10, and 10, 11. So it was a four-year gap before playing again. But, okay, um, yeah, I played out here um, just men's league, just the recreation adult leagues. Um, 
I think for the last 10 years, I've been the only, only female in the, the recreation leagues around here. Um, but it, it's kind of nice to see over the last few years, there's actually been a, a women's league developing of a few teams. So okay. it's nice to see, but yeah, four years of playing rec league once, twice a week, drop in, stick and puck, just trying to get ice time just yeah. to keep legs and lungs under you. Um, I, I've played a lot of sports. I've played soccer and I played lacrosse unless you're playing hockey continually and getting ice time, it's such a hard sport to condition for. There's yeah. not a lot of anaerobic sprinting that you can do with right. your legs in that, that motion um, to get that feel. So I, I would say it was difficult in the, the first month of the NWHL. I mean, I really tried to get as much ice time as I could before the league started. Yeah. Uh, but I'd say it took, it took probably a month into the season for me to really get full swing again. Uh, and that's that's pretty impressive that you got back to full speed in a month's time. That that's that really is impressive. You know, I had been developed. I had been trying to get more ice time before then, but sure, sure. Um, but there's a big difference between getting your own ice time and and competing on a team and and yep. really getting getting to that level. And you said you played other sports. Talk about the physical demands of hockey versus soccer, lacrosse. They're all similar. They're all you know move the ball slash puck. I forget what it's called in, in lacrosse. Uh, I know it's a ball, but it's not called that. Um, but your, you know, your legs are really important. Talk about the differences in those sports with hockey. I would say um, it was good. I, I was a three-sport athlete in high school. I, I played soccer in the fall, um, hockey in the winter, and lacrosse in the spring. And I think I, I'll point to my brother. So my brother in high school did a year of cross country, mm -hmm. and that was his best hockey season. And there, so there's something to be said about being very aerobically conditioned going into sure. going into hockey, um, being lean all, you know, it obviously helps, but there's something about hockey in your quads where you have to laterally stop and start with a speed that you don't have in other sports. Right. That's why hockey players just have bigger quads. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's, it's amazing. I, I, uh, one of the, I've written a bunch of books and one of them was on the Florida Panthers who reached the Stanley cup finals in their third years. And I got third year rather, and I got to know several of the players and, you know, walk around and practice and stuff. And they're walking around in shorts and t-shirt between sessions. I was like, you know, their thighs are like the size of my waist. And it's yeah. just the, the leg strength is just, is just phenomenal. And I don't think somebody who's not played the sport will recognize how difficult it is to be going, you're going what 30 miles an hour when you're at full speed and then just stop on a dime. How, that takes a lot of leg strength and I'm guessing coordination as well, doesn't it? It takes core, core strength, core strength and leg strength. Um, like I said, just, yeah, the lateral and you're, you're skating on a blade of steel. That's, you know, a couple, what is it? A couple centimeters thick. I mean, and it's got a curve to it. It's just, you're, you're trying to use your edges laterally even when you're going forward you're still pushing off at at angles that yeah. you don't you, that you don't use your legs like that in anything else which is why unless you're getting ice time regularly it's it's hard to yeah it's hard to find that groove again so. I'll, I'll bet um now you still play recreationally and i i put that in the questions i sent you i put recreationally in quotes anyone who's been a professional athlete or an elite level college athlete doesn't know what the word recreationally really means it means it's okay if you don't play your best. It means to the to those of us who are not elite athletes, it means 
give it your best and go out and, you know, have a Coke or a beer or whatever after the game. And recreationally, I imagine that's hard for somebody who competed at, at a really high level to tone it down a little bit. So talk about playing recreational hockey now. Um, <laughs> playing recreation is fun. It's fun. It, it also, um, I also catch myself. I catch myself getting way too aggressive and yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll quiet down this shift. All right. I got it. I, you know, I have to tell myself and I, I tell my teammates, all right, I'll, I'll cool it next shift. So, um, yeah, I've, I've caught myself in a few situations where I've taken a, a rec game a little too seriously. And so, um, you know, it, it helps. Um, we all make fun of each other when we're on the ice. So when you take it too seriously, that person gets called game seven a lot. So, okay. <laughs> That's like a great experience for the Stanley cup. So I, I had not heard that. So I, I've got some really intense friends not necessarily athletes. If I start calling them game seven, it may take them a while to figure out what that means, but that's like tone it down, take, you know, drink decaf or whatever. Um, Now, those of us who like hockey, who like watching hockey know that there's fighting involved. Do you ever, have you ever gotten into a fight in a rec game? Especially if you're playing against the men. Um, (laughs) I almost got into a fight a few weeks ago, but I tried to tone it down. We, we had some words in the penalty box, um, afterwards and you know the guy offered me a beer after the game so we we tend to tone it down a little quicker but fights still happen occasionally but I, have you ever been in a city and and i know you weren't prepared for these questions because i'm just thinking of them as we go along here and i'm having a great time with you megan by the way um have you ever been in a situation where somebody checks you a little hard and you say to them with your female voice you know good check or something like that and, and you you get them off 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 kilter a little bit because they didn't realize you were a girl. Um, I, I think that happened more so when I was younger, I had a shorter haircut and, um, uh, <laughs> a guy, um, hit me and, and then looked at me and I, you know, cause I hit him back and <laughs> he finally caught, you know, did a double take. And, um, so the, the next shift he was like, Oh, you shouldn't be out. It shouldn't be out here. You, you know, all right. I want to talk a little bit about personal life. Uh, talk about your real job. Does your sports experience help you, like working with colleagues, not hitting somebody when they cross ship, striving for excellence, any, any way like that? Um, I remember when I was being interviewed when I first started. So I work in the auto industry at General Motors. And uh, I remember when I was first being interviewed, uh, there was a question about just how, how thick is your skin? <laughs> how thick is your skin? And I think um, just having a coach throw a clipboard at my head um, just kind of toughened me up a little bit for certain events that have happened at work. But uh, I, I think hockey is an explosive sport emotionally. And I think that's just prepared me for having tough conversations. So and not fighting when the person crosses you, correct? Or at least, you know, taking a, taking a few minutes in the penalty box first. <laughs> okay. And what do you do for General Motors? I'm a production supervisor. So. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the NWHL. And I, I, I looked up a little information. There's six teams, which is kind of cool, like the original six in the NHL. Talk about the level of hockey that's in that league. So 
I played in the first season. I, I came out of my quasi retirement um, from recreational league um, for the first season. I'm a big fan of the movie, a league of their own. And I, yeah. it kind of inspired me. I wanted to be a part of it when I heard they were having tryouts and I wanted to be involved in helping to start it up. Um, originally for the women, the NWHL only had four teams. So, okay. Uh, uh, I remember our team went to a, an event because the first season, uh, the Riveters, they were the Metropolitan Riveters now, but we were the New York Riveters the first season. We were based near Brooklyn, and uh, we went to an event hosted about what could have been the original seventh team, which was the Brooklyn Americans for the NHL. So it was a little neat, uh, kind of some NHL history in that area. But at the first league, at the, the time of the tryouts, it was really the, the first paid league the the first league that really gave women's professional players a, a shot at making some money while they're doing it the uh cwhl which was up in canada had you know they folded a few years ago they had a lot of great players in their in their league because it was the only place to play up until the nwhl um, but they didn't pay their players they were trying to get ice time and support yeah. their players in other ways but um, this was the first opportunity so all the national players um kind of switched leagues for the first year, um, came down from the CWHL and joined in the NWHL and a lot of top former and recent graduate of, of D1, some D3, um, played in that league. And it was, it was good, high-level competition. Um, and they had signed contracts with, like, Twitch to try to get more of an internet-based crowd instead of, you know, we obviously didn't land a national television contract. but. Right. It was kind of a different crowd. And uh, the team you played for, the Riveters, um, if I were to, to start following women's hockey, I would be rooting for the Riveters because of your logo. Uh, my wife is a two-time leukemia survivor, and when she went through her second bone marrow transplant, um, the nurse put a picture, she gave her a poster on the day of her transplant, a poster of Rosie the Riveter. And it says, it says, I fight like a girl. And yeah. showing how tough she is. And that was your logo. So did, I don't know what the other teams are called. I don't know what their logos are. I saw the, the Riveters logo and said, okay, I'm rooting for them. Uh, besides being, being an Islanders fan in the same general area. Um, do you, did that impact you? The, the idea behind the Riveters about, you know, you, you guys were setting a new standard. Because when, I don't know if you know much about Rosie the Riveter but that was just total break from the norm of what women were expected to do back in world war two. I think that impact you? Our, our entire team loved that logo. I think we had the best jerseys in the league um, just purely based on Rosie, the riveter. Uh, the other side of, of why they were the riveters was um, initially. So we were, we were near Brooklyn. Um, so I actually lived in the Rockaway since you're familiar with long Island. We were in that Brooklyn yeah. attached to long Island and, we would go over to Aviator Event Center, and it was it was some old World War II airplane hangars that they had yeah. turned into a rank stadium, rock climbing wall, gym. It was a, it was a neat facility. Um, they even had Madison Square Garden boxing matches in, in certain areas of this facility. But um, because of the the ties with aviation and and World War II, where we were right. playing, uh, that was one of the the logo choices, and I most appropriate. I thought it was very fitting 
And uh, it's still my favorite logo of any sports team, really, men or women to this day. So, Is, is there Riveter gear available anywhere where people could buy it? The NWHL does have a shop online. So, All right. I might. Uh, my wife doesn't watch these or listen to these podcasts, so I could keep a secret. I might have to get her one for her birthday this summer. So women's hockey is still not mainstream. What needs to happen for that to for that to occur, for you guys to get more growth? I think, and I'm going to go back to the first season again, because that's what I'm familiar with. But yeah. the reason the NWHL launched in 2015 was they were trying to ride a wave off of the 2014 Winter Olympics. Every year, every Winter Olympics, the women's hockey has been one of the most viewed sports. Hmm. And it's not nationally televised regularly throughout the year. Right. College isn't. I, you don't tend to see it on the ESPN very often. Um, even when we were out playing the bean pot, it was locally, locally broadcast and right. still watch. But I think women's hockey needs to ride another Olympic year and go into some more nationally televised programming. And right now uh, it's pretty difficult. And there's a lot of politics going on in women's hockey. There's the sure. NWHL um, and a lot of the national team players have dropped off and, gone into the Professional Women's Players Hockey Association, the, the P alphabet. I, I keep getting the, the acronym wrong. There's too many letters for it, but yeah. there's another association that's trying to support uh, getting women paid at a higher level that includes better health insurance. Uh, I think hockey is a risky sport, and before women can play that full time, uh, that's one of the, the big concerns. So they have been getting some nationally televised um, time. Um, I think on NBC Sports Network, it was on a few days ago. It's the the dream, the secret dream gap tour. So there's a lot of competition with, between that. And um, I think they, they kind of clash heads with the NWHL a little bit. But I think both programs are trying to advance women's hockey. Um, yeah. just, I think the timing of it would be a collaboration between those two groups some su more support from the NHL, which I don't think they're planning on supporting until there's one league. And right. uh, I, I think the next big opportunity, uh, the next big opportunity that I see, and this is just kind of an opinion would be to ride it off of another Olympic year. And 2022, where are the winter Olympics? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure <laughs> where the winter Olympics is. Okay. Um, because I think you're right about that, Megan, because uh, you know, women's soccer is becoming fairly popular you know we have a we have a women's team professional team here in kansas city and that happened with the women's world cup in with the women's world cup several years ago that yeah. that gold medal and that that televised coverage yeah. um helped boost that game and yeah um, every year i think every every time there's a winter olympics there's a spike in, in women yeah. joining joining those organizations that have been shown that haven't been covered for the the gap years in between. Yeah. So a gold medal by the U S would help certainly in 2022. That would help. We got one in 2018. So we'll see if, see if they can do it again. All righty. Um, I always like to wrap up my, my interviews with two questions. One, uh, just talk about your family and, and then, you know, the other one, and I know you're, you're <laughs> lamenting how you'll answer the second one. Um, I would say my family was very supportive. Um, hockey takes a lot of resources it takes a lot of travel, especially when you're a kid in Kansas and my brother and I both played. So, um, my sister never, never picked, 
picked up a hockey stick, but uh, yeah, my dad played, my brother played, I played and both my mom and my dad would take my brother and I and put us in a car every weekend and drive us to St. Louis or Minnesota or Oklahoma or Des Moines or Waterloo or <laughs> yeah. every, every city up and down the, you know, the Midwest. So, okay. And your brother's older. My brother is seven years older. Yeah. So your and your sister, my sister's 10 years older. Okay. So you're the baby of the family. I'm the, I'm the baby. I was the rink rat that just got dragged around and loved, loved playing everything. So. All right. And then the last question that you've been dreading since yesterday, what is your legacy? I think my legacy is doing this interview. So. <laughs> <laughs> you put way more into it, into the value of it than, than I think there is, but no, what, if, if somebody, you know, and I don't, I don't want to say how old you are, but you're in your thirties, right? I, I think my legacy around this area now is just to, to help volunteer and to help be visible to younger women that are playing and to show them, Hey, you know, just cause you're around here, doesn't mean you have limits. You can, you can go play out East. You can go play internationally. You can play for team USA. You can do whatever you want. So. Yeah. There, I mean, the two, two drawbacks from a, from an organizational standpoint is the fact mm-hmm. that you're in Kansas and that you're female and female hockey or women's hockey, girls hockey is not as popular, but you showed that that doesn't have to limit you. It doesn't have to limit you. You can always give yourself some opportunities. You just got to take advantage of what's out there. So, All right. Well, Megan, I appreciate your time. Uh, I'm glad that uh, some mutual friends connected us and uh, I thank you for joining us. Well, thanks, David. It was good to finally meet you. You too. Take care. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.